This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Coming up in hour two, Dallas Aikens, former NHL head coach. We got a really tough show. Dallas was a real tough player. Uh, Ken Danico after him, New Jersey Devils analyst, uh, works with the NHL Network as well. So Ken Danico comes up and, man, to, to round out how tough this show is, he's Blue Jackets analyst and you also watch him on the NHL on TNT. He is Jody Shelley and he joins me now. Jody, how are you? I'm great, Jeff. How about you? Uh, I am doing well. Before we get into uh, NHL issues, uh, I'm sure you're, uh, I don't know if you still follow or pay attention to, but your Halifax Mooseheads are into the Q final against the Quebec Ramparts. Have a quick thought on your old junior squad? Yeah, I mean, my days in Halifax, so I don't know, was that 30 years ago now? Uh, Pretty close to it. You know, (laughs) just a tremendous organization, but but it's the people in the city of Halifax that make it so special. And I always make sure I talk to the guys, you know, like McKinnon and and Meyer, the guys that have played there and and worn that uniform. It's just fun to have a bond with them. You know, these guys are so much younger than me. But now, like, you know, Dumay is up there. I know, I think he's out of the lineup right now. But there's some special things that that have been done in that city on and off the ice. And uh, I'm proud to be a part of it. And wish them luck, of course. Of course, and you know that that does seem like there are just some of those organizations. You know, the London Knights are like this. Um, Quebec Ramparts, who are you know playing Halifax, and certainly the Halifax Mooseheads, where you know the 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 idea that you know you're a you're a Halifax Moosehead once, and you join that fraternity, and it doesn't matter, and you'll bump into Halifax Mooseheads players. Jody, you know this better than I do. You know, all all over the place, and instantly you have that bond. I mean, it, it it does happen with you know the majority of of junior teams across Canada, but there are just some that just seem a little bit extra special. And in the queue, Halifax is right up there amongst the uh, amongst the top. One 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 final thought: like, what is it about? I mean, I've been to Halifax plenty, love it there, great people, great rank, um, and they pack the place. But what is it specifically about? Halifax. I mean, I've always wondered, you know, the fact that, you know, that's part of, although not the actual spot where hockey was quote-unquote invented or the rules codified. I mean, historically, Halifax goes back decades and centuries with the sport. But do you have an idea of why hockey is so special in Halifax? You know what? I, I really don't have a... I mean, I can just tell you from my experience, I grew up in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, which is three and a half hours south. It's a small lobster fishing community. And, and you know, the people are just so authentic and pure and real and, and just appreciate, uh, you know, what they're a part of in that community. And, and I feel like, it. you know, you go to the big city of Halifax, which is a smaller city, but I don't know. I just think it's the sense of pride that's in any town in Canada. And in Halifax, you know, you have to credit the people that started the team and ran it. And um, Moosehead Breweries and, of course, yeah. Cam Russell has done a heck of a job there with that team. And I think more sure importantly, is. he's done a good job of under, understanding what he's a part of. You know, like the people he brought in and, and how it is when you're in a Moosehead, when you wear that Moosehead jersey. It's just uh, it's something that's authentic to that area. And I think that's really what speaks to how it it's uh, that community and that province has embraced it. You know, one of my favorite, well, one more thing on Nova Scotia here. One of my favorite stories about hockey in Nova Scotia, um, and I've heard this before once in a, in a video I have uh, from a, memor- a Memorial Cup in like 1966 in Edmonton, but in Nova Scotia, when the brawls would get out of hand, I don't know if you've heard this story before. You, you must have growing up in Nova Scotia. If When the brawls would get out of hand, the only way they could stop the fighting was to play God Save the Queen, which previous to 1967 was, you know, the anthem in Canada. And so the, the law was when you heard God Save the Queen, no matter what you were doing, you had to stop. No matter what you were doing, it was against the law to continue to work or do whatever. It was the only way, Jody, they could stop the brawls in in hockey games <laughs> in Nova Scotia. And I always oh. loved that one. And, I, and it's funny, too, because I was watching this old, like, uh, a game from the 60s, Edmonton Oil Kings against the uh, the Niagara Falls Flyers. It's a big brawl. It's game three. And faintly in the background, you can hear them playing God Save the Queen as they're trying to get these kids to stop fighting. I'm like, oh, man, the story about Nova Scotia must be true. It must be true. They had to play God Save the Queen to get everyone to stop fighting. Anyhow... Um, wow! I'll tell you what, Jody. It was really, it was a great story. Hey, it's one of my favorite Nova Scotia hockey stories. I absolutely love it. it so, sounds like a uh, really, sounds um, like a Simpsons episode, actually. <laughs> I 
<laughs> I'm sure someone could spoof it somewhere somewhere along the way. Play the national anthem so these guys will stop fighting. Uh, loved yeah. watching you between the benches with Louis DeBrusque. I know you guys, you know, mixed it up uh, in the NA, 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 NHL, Columbus, and, and Chicago, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. But what were, you, what were your ta- what were your takeaways from from Saturday? I mean, that was a pretty. I mean, that was a rough game. That was a highly skilled game. Is this going to be when these two teams get together? Like, it very much looked like a Jody Shelley, a, a game that Jody Shelley would enjoy watching. High skill, great skating, and no one is shy out there at all. You know what? It was pretty, it was fascinating for me, first of all, Jeff, between the benches in Vegas, because I, I've been to the building in Vegas, uh, and it starts off like, a nightclub that is at its peak. You know, everybody's there. It's electric. Uh, the atmosphere, the, the the ground that Louie and I were standing on just off, off to the side of the ice was actually thumping. It was vibrating. You know, we had a water bottle on the side of the wow. boards, and it was it rattled off the boards and fell down. It's a, So, you know, you feel the energy of the building, the anticipation, and then the puck drops, and, and you're right. It was, to me, the high focus of the Edmonton Oilers. Like, And that's one thing when you're down there at ice level. You know, when you watch from a distance, you forget, like, the focus, the the speed, the intensity, uh, the frustration of the Vegas Golden Knights, the, the look in their eyes. You could see it where they were – they could feel that, you know, the atmosphere started off pretty good for them, but then they felt the, the, the push of the Edmonton Oilers, and they really didn't have an answer. So, um, you know, that's what playoff hockey is about, the discipline of Connor McDavid, uh, I thought Evander Kane, you know, played that role that you would expect them to to a T, and, and uh, Vegas tried to have an answer. So it really created that that feeling we were hoping we were going to get, which is now this is a playoff series, and you know, you had one game in, in Game One where Vegas did did what they wanted to the Edmonton Oilers, and now in Game Two, it seemed like yep. the Edmonton Oilers understood that they they wanted to impose impose their will, and, and they did with their speed and focus and intensity. It was it was impressive to see down there. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Evander Kane because if anybody forgets about the, um, like, I don't know what the opposite of a love affair is, but whatever it is, that's what Vegas <laughs> fans have for Evander Kane. If anyone's forgotten just how much uh, Vegas fans really despise Evander Kane, yeah. um, we saw it there on Saturday. And, you know, I was watching that that scrum where he has Colasar down, and he's he's hitting him with like four or five body shots, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, yeah. Teddy Atlas, the great boxing trainer, would always talk about water in the basement. You know, shots to the body, shots to the body, water in the basement, water in the basement. I'm watching, you know, Evander Kane pepper uh, pe- pepper him with the, these body shots as the place is howling. Like I, I can only imagine what the charge must have been in that building because, you know, the, the, the game's out of hand originally. Like in the first period, Edmonton's just all over all over the Vegas Golden Knights and goalie change and all that. And then there's Evander Kane peppering Colasar's ribs with body shots and Colasar's getting up and he's trying to get at him and everyone's trying to get at Evander Kane. That that really must have been a charge. Um, but outside of the, you know, outside of the, the nastiness in this series, like when they get down to playing hockey, if you're the Vegas Golden Knights, what do you do with the Oilers, their skill, and maybe most importantly, Jody, what do you do with that power play? Like, it's as close to an automatic as we have in hockey. I've never seen anything like it, Jeff. It's um, the way they enter the zone. It's almost it's almost like they have a spell over the Golden Knights. And, and you know what I mean? I've, I spoke with Joe Thornton earlier this mm-hmm. year about Connor McDavid. And, um, you know, he, he mentioned that, there was times in his career where he played a game, he played games above the clouds, you know, where he could see it from above the yeah. clouds. And he said, Connor plays it above the clouds every single shift. And he said, it's incredible because Joe's helping a little bit now with San Jose as a retired player back there. Yep. And, and, you know, so he's watching closely and we were going through some players of the league. And I thought that was a fascinating way to hear it from a guy like that, because that's what it looked like. But it looked like the entire power play was viewing it from above the clouds. It was almost like a chess game where, you know, I'm a beginner chess player. So you, I mean, I'm done right away. Uh, but, but like the setup has already <laughs> happened before I even sat down. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like yeah. I've been read and it's over. And I felt like that's what, I don't know what the answer would be. I mean, you try to stay out of the box. Obviously that's the most important thing, but it's, it's nearly impossible when you're in a playoff series because the intensity, every importance of every puck, the battle, once you get on the wrong side of a puck as a player, it's a bad feeling. 
You know what I mean? You have to try to make up for it. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to trust that, you know, someone else is going to cover up for you. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, one mistake leads to two usually, and that's why things result in the back of the net. I, I, I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, I did notice, though, you know, you, you talk about the fourth line of the, of the Vegas Golden Knights, and they, they're heavy on the forecheck, they're hard to handle, which they were in game one. But they couldn't get it going because because Edmonton made that adjustment of getting out of their zone cleanly, keeping pucks on the forehand, uh, getting it out or flipping it, making one pass to get it out. They were on the same page to get that going, which Vegas did to frustrate right. the, the Oilers in game one. And I thought the Oilers did a great job of that in game two. So I think Vegas is going to have to get a little cleaner out of their own end, obviously. It looked like Edmonton took the walls away. Yeah. And then get their forecheck going or have possession time down there because – it really was the exact same script flipped at the power play for the Oilers that, that changed that game, too. Do you have uh, an explanation? I'm sure you have plenty of thoughts. Um, I mean, explanation is tough because I have no idea how he continues to do this other than he's just an exceptional player. Do you have a thought on the Leon Dreisaitl phenomenon? I mean, here we are eight games into the playoffs, and his name is already being mentioned, you know, with a, a record that both Reggie Leach and Yari Curry share for, for goals in a, in a playoffs. It's, it's remarkable. I know the shooting percentage is, is insanely high, and we keep saying, well, it's going to come down. But then if you told me, like, you know, I woke up tomorrow morning if I, if I slept through the game and found out that Leon Dreisel had five goals tonight, I don't think I'd be surprised, Jody. you have a thought <laughs> yeah. on what we're seeing here from, from the big German player? Isn't it crazy? I mean, it's, it's almost like, of course, right, Leon scored that goal. Of course Leon had two tonight. I mean, uh, <laughs> to watch him out there, and I spoke with Darnell Nurse about him, and, and he went on and on about how this player could be the most dominant defensive centerman we've seen because he's got that build, right? And then, and then you think, but he can't because yeah. he's so good offensively. Uh, he's got to leave the zone early because it just puts so much pressure on everyone else in the other team. It's pretty interesting, though. Like, you see it with Montour in Florida. Uh, you start looking for the guy, right? I mean, you start looking for the hot hand if you're on the ice with him. I mean, yeah. I play pickup hockey and, and – uh, you know, once in a while you get out there with, you know, a guy like Rick Nash. Well, when I'm defending Rick Nash, I know the guy that has the puck is looking for Rick Nash. So I'm going to go, you know what I mean? You start looking for him a little bit. Yeah, yeah. The Oilers are doing that, but but he's so, there's so many other threats that when you watch him closely sometimes, he just sits in the weeds quietly on the, on the other side of the ice. Or he times it so well. He's so smart with timing. And that's one thing about the offensive zone of the Edmonton Oilers. They're on the same page with he knows like when that shot is coming, when to be on the back door. It's not just, oh, he's lucky to be there. He's such an intelligent guy that he, he sees the play unfold and knows where he has to be at the right time to be there. And then also, like even the two on one, uh, when he adjusted to get the puck from Connor, I think it was game one, you know, he he had to open up to get that shot off. And it was just incredible to see mm-hmm. how quick he got his stick in position, how quick he got his leg around, and then he got the shot in the perfect spot. It was it was just his skill set plus his timing and, and his, his, the way he reads and processes the game. It, none of these goals are a fluke. It, it's just he's hard to handle and he's smart and yeah. strong. And to have him with Connor McDavid, it's just it's not fair. It's just not fair. <laughs> it's not fair, and uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that point. And it sounds weird when you consider how how big a man Dreisaitl is, how he can, you know, he has that ability to vanish or, you know, get yeah. lost out there or just sort of hide. You know, Brett Hall um, had the great line, and it's always stuck with me. I, I, I see it, and I'm glad you mentioned Dreisaitl because you see it. He said... You know, sometimes the best way to be in the play is to be out of the play. And with Hall, it was he would be out of the play, and then he'd get into that spot. Adam Oates would hit him with a perfect pass, and bam, the red light goes on. Right? And it's then crazy. I was like, okay, yeah, Hall was out of the play. He got in. He got the shot. And, and I see it in Dreisel, but the thing that kills me is he's a huge man. <laughs> like, he's a massive. How do, you, how, do you, uh, how do you find uh, – how does that guy get lost out there? It's bizarre. Well, think about it. It really is weird. Connor McDavid, if you're going to defend Connor McDavid, he's going to pull you out of position before you even know it. He's going to, your, yeah. ex, your, your, your defensive awareness is heightened and you want to make the right play. So you know what I mean? You're, he moves you out of a place and puts the puck where, where dry settle is and dry settle understands where it's going. So 
your focus has it's all over the map. That's why, and he's a cruiser at times out there, dry subtle, but he's so smart at arriving on time. It's 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 fun to watch just him. Yeah. If, you, if you get to see a game live, which is easier to isolate, obviously, it's fun to watch how he processes the offensive zone. Uh, it is. Um, last one for you here, and I, I reference, you know, uh, between the benches with uh, with Louis DeBrusque and you guys smiling and uh, and hugging. Like I'm always curious because. Listen, man, I, I remember that that one scrap, that, that Columbus-Chicago scrap with you two, and there was no seat belting, there was no hug and tug. Like these are you and Louis stretched out, man. <laughs> you guys went for it. And you know, here you are at different places in your lives and different places in your careers now. I'm always curious, you know, what's the conversation like when you when when you bump into Louis? Like you bump into Louis on Saturday before the game. What's the conversation like, Jody? It's all smiles, man. I'm, and I'm telling you, I've not met a better person in hockey than Louis DeBrusque. I mean, he's one of the kindest, gentlest. Um, he's just a great guy to be around. I love talking to him. And, you know, I think it's always, you know, it's hard to explain to people because, you know, we had a job to do on the ice, but we have so much respect for the game, so much respect for each other, you know, and especially knowing the shoes that he walked in to do that job. I think our respect is even yeah. heightened that, you know, that we went, we gave it our best. We, you know, I, he wanted it hurt me. I wanted to hurt him. And at the end of the day, you know, however it went, it went. And it's just part of the respect of, of being in a battle with each other. And we, I, I so I'll, I'm so happy to see him every time I see him. I think everyone is because uh, he's one of those guys in hockey oh, yeah. that uh, you gravitate towards. Uh, one of my favorites, one of our favorites uh, around here. Well told. Uh, as are you. Jody, thanks as always for stopping by on my show. I really appreciate it. Um, that was a lot of fun on Saturday, man. We'll see what they have in store today for, for Game 3. Thanks so much for, for popping by, Jody. My pleasure, Jeff. Pre- appreciate your work and uh, have a great day. Thank you. Thanks, pal. There he is, the great Jody Shelley uh, from the NHL and TNT analyst uh, for the Columbus Blue Jackets in Columbus tonight, by the way, along with the Anaheim Ducks, along with Chicago Blackhawks, along with Philadelphia Flyers, along with Montreal Canadiens, etc., 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 crossing their fingers. Whatever they can do, all lucky charms, whether it's the rabbit foot, whether it's the four-leaf clover, whether it's a lucky loony or something you have in your pocket, getting ready for draft lottery nights. Um, Columbus is always looked for a center going back to the the genesis of this organization right the doug mclean dave king years always wanted that elite level center what would that mean to them what would it mean for anaheim to win this thing tonight i know there's a zegras i know there's a mctavish i get all that already down the middle but man do you open up opportunities if anaheim wins this thing tonight or if you're the Philadelphia Flyers and you're starting what is the beginnings of some type of rebuild. Or Chicago, out with Taves, in with Bedard. Or Montreal, Suzuki and Bedard up the gut. Anyway, our two's coming up. Dallas Aikens next. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Bow, bow. Okay, welcome back to the program. Standing by for Dallas Akins, uh, analyst now uh, with us on the panel on Hockey Net in Canada and the NHL on Sportsnet. I like that um, we're putting coaches on, whether it was Derek Lalone from the last series, uh, who was exceptional, to Dallas Akins. And, you know, I, I don't think it was lost on any. It wasn't lost on Elliott last night after Sam Reinhardt scored that goal, the overtime winner. Uh, to put the Florida Panthers up three nothing, uh, he reminded Dallas of something he said earlier in the uh, earlier in the series when he pointed out that eighty percent—that is a staggering number—eighty percent of the game is played within three feet of the boards. So that was not lost on many, not lost on Elliot, and I'm sure not lost on our next guest because, after all, he said it. He is uh, Dallas Aikens uh, analyst now with Hockey Night in Canada, NHL coach. Dallas, how are you? Excellent. Uh, Hello, the, Dallas. Uh, the the trails of of Toronto. Oh, and now are you uh, are you riding or are you running this morning, this afternoon, rather? No, I'm running, and I got myself turned around down in the 
lower dawn trails. And you know what's sad? I used to know these things like the back of my hand. So I just took a little <laughs> break, made sure I've got some half-decent cell service, and uh, we'll get on with the rest of it afterwards. I, I, I was going to say, it wasn't that long ago you were with the Marlies and, and running these things on a daily basis, although knowing you, you're probably doing it at 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning while it was still dark. So maybe you're not used to uh, running these trails while the while the sun is up. Well, I'll tell you what, it's certainly uh, nice seeing uh, a lot of people, a lot of people out with their dogs. And uh, the great thing, too, yeah. uh, that I realize here in Canada is everybody I go by, it's, hey, good afternoon, good day. Uh, it, down in California where I, I, I run, it's heads down and not a lot of politeness. <laughs> they need more Canada there, uh, Dallas. They need more Canada there. Well, here's the see. Here's the interesting thing about um, about the the situation you're describing today. Um, that there, every city has a sports team that they fall over themselves over. Whether it's you know the Yankees. Uh, or whether it's, you know, for example, in Toronto, the Maple Leafs. With all due respect to the Blue Jays and the Raptors, etc. Like, every city has, like, a sports charge. And the sort of emotional timber of the city rises and falls with that team. And considering what we saw last night, crushing for Maple Leafs fans in overtime, uh, Sam Reinhardt scores the goal, you would think that people would be down in this city or there'd be a sort of cloud over it. Now, it helps that it's a nice day in Toronto as we speak, right? now but um the mood of the city around this team i mean listen you know the maple leafs organization well you were part of it um this must be a real down period right now for everybody who follows sports in toronto your thoughts on where the maple leafs are at right now after last night well i'm sure the 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 city is down and you know disappointment will either destroy you or it will drive you and so i i understand that i like you know i i was uh, it was a real privilege to work for the toronto maple Leafs for eight years uh in different capacities um i fully understand the the passion and the commitment uh to the team um and, and i think it's even grown like with social media and the way we all interact now i i think it's you know mm-hmm. just bubbling uh over um, but but for the team itself, um, I, I think they'll just focus back in. Uh, like I, I I am a believer that they they shouldn't be down uh, three nothing in the series. I, I think they could have at least won one game, if not two, uh, very easily. But no one cares about that in the end, right? It's it's like uh, analytics. Well, my expected goals is this. Well, expected goals don't win you hockey games. Uh, actual goals when you hockey games but for the team whether it was uh being up to one down to uh one right now or being uh up three nothing or down three nothing they need to win the next game that's just how this goes you you take this it's not a seven game series it's literally one game seven times and that's the way they have to wrap their heads around it if they're if they've got players that are are still back in last night's game when the next game starts Uh then they'll be in trouble but if they can get to a neutral mindset get to where their feet are then they should be fine so here's one of the reasons uh dallas i was i was really happy that uh that you were coming on today um i'm I'm gonna get to sheldon keith here in a couple of moments and i want to talk about you and, and how you would react to these situations that the the maple leafs find themselves in i should probably ask you how you'd handle you know uh if you were the coach of the Florida Panthers on, on the on the verge of a sweep here. But you know what I'm curious about, Dallas? And he remains to me, and I've read articles and books and watched videos, and growing up, I remember watching him behind the bench. Um, I mean, you are a disciple of Roger Nilsson and Peterborough, etc., and that legacy is long and that legacy is strong. If Roger Nielsen, here's the big hype, the biggest hypothetical you're going to get today. If Roger Nielsen were behind the bench of the Toronto Maple Leafs, what would he do? Well, I, I probably not a whole bunch different. Like Roger would be, you know, Roger's mindset was always 
that um, just, you know, his, his mindset was this, don't let the other team score because then they can't win, right? You're at least going to have a zero. Like back then, you could have a tie, right? Like it, uh, it would be a zero-zero yeah. tie. Like you're at least getting a point. And so, like, he would really be focusing on, um, well, it's like when I played for the Moncton Hawks in Moncton, New Brunswick, and I used to go over to the Elks Club, and they taught me how to play snooker. And I learned very quickly in snooker, it wasn't what you always made, but it's what you left. And so Raj would be really, really focused on anything that the, the, the Leafs were leaving on the table, those self-inflicted wounds. And he, he would definitely go into the game trying to win it one nothing. Now, that being said, if the Leafs can take that mindset of we're leaving nothing on the table uh, here, whether it's through turnovers, penalties, uh, you know, coverage things, that, that's great. But the, the Leafs certainly have the, the, the firepower uh, with, the, with guys like Marner and, and Matthews, uh, Nylander, Tavares. They, like, they've got guys that can put that puck in the net. So if they can not leave much, um, I, I think they're going to be very well served by it. You know, the um, one of the things that Elliot and I were talking about to, to kick off the show today is, you're Sheldon Keefe, what do you do? Like, when it comes to, you know, roster decisions, sometimes, listen, you know this a lot better than I do. You know this a lot better than any of our listeners slash viewers do. Sometimes there are other factors that go into roster decisions. We're all very well aware of those. But in a situation like this, because there's a lot of attention here on Sheldon Keefe. His neck is out on, on this one. You know, his team is on the verge of being swept. This is going to be one of these situations where Sheldon Keefe has to you know, block out any sort of external noise or influence and make his roster and you know, put forward the players that he thinks is going to win him this game. What do you think Sheldon Keefe does? Like, do you think he tries new things, trying to find, you know, uh, lightning in a bottle here? Like, we haven't seen Matthews and Ryan O'Reilly together. Does he try something like that? Or does he stick with what he knows has worked in the past, figuring that eventually it will work again? Which direction do you think he goes here? Well, I've gotten to know Sheldon over the years very well. Um, he, he's been the coach of the most high-profile pro- team uh, in the league for a long time. Uh, he, he learned to box out the white noise a long time ago. Uh, so that's a for sure. I'm not worried about that. Um, the, and I'm not going to stand here and you know second-guess his decisions. He knows his team better than anyone, better than you, better than me, Elliot, season ticket holders, uh, anyone. And so what he's going to do is he, he's going to do what he thinks serves his team, not himself, what, what serves his team the best. And I, I know we can all sit and talk about, well, there's such, uh, there's such a challenge for Sheldon Keefe or this is pressure on him and, oh, his neck's on the line. But wh- where are the top players right now? Like, th- this is where it lies. Like, Sheldon Keefe does not go out and de- defend – uh, Sam Bennett. Sheldon Keith does not go out there and drive the net. Sheldon Keith does not go out there and get in the goalie's eyes. This is on the players now. And I think uh, Kyle Dubas has put a wonderful group together there. Um, but these, especially the big boys, it's time for them to put on their work boots and get out there and block out the noise and just go bring your best game individually. That's all they have to concentrate on here. Bring your best game individually. And if you all do that individually, then collectively, you're going to be on fire. Um, and, and we all know that the hardest game to win is the game to close out the series. And this will be a sure. difficult game for the Florida Panthers. Um, I, I still like the Leafs. Like I, I still really believe that they have the team that can, can get it done. I think the Florida Panthers have just done an incredible job in this series. They've set themselves up really well, but I still think there's a bit of a series to go on here yet. 
You know, I, I am curious about that and uh, was making the point before you came on and, you know, reminding our listeners and viewers that, you know, uh, the beginning of the series, um, you stunned everyone by mentioning that 80% of the game is played within three feet of the boards. And I, th- I think that was probably, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, directed at a lot of, you know, minor hockey coaches and, and youth hockey coaches like, you know, pay, I mean, the middle of the ice is fine, but pay attention to, to board play and, and work along the boards. What has Florida done so well here? Is it a matter of, you know, they've they've controlled the boards, um, they're getting the better goaltending? Like, what is it that you can pinpoint that Paul Maurice and the Florida Panthers have done so well to set themselves up with a three-game series lead here? Yeah, I think they've really owned the the, the boards. And they're, they're, you know, I think I mentioned this too. Like, there, there's one thing to go in and, hey, I'm really trying to win this puck battle, um, but mm-hmm. it, but you have to be committed to it. And I had mentioned like that, you've got to treat that puck like it's your wallet. So, hey, your wallet's laying there, mm-hmm. and Sam Bennett is going to take your wallet. Well, are you going to try to get it back, or are you committed to get it back? And, and what kind of battle does that look like? And so I, I think the Leafs can be better in that area. Um, and, and the whole wall thing, it, it's interesting, right? Like whether, hey, it's even with our, our pro guys. What do guys like to do? Well, I'm going to go work on my one-timer. I'm going to keep working on my one-timer. Well, okay, that's great. You might get one chance, maybe two in a game, uh, to, to fire off a one-timer. But how much time are you within three feet of the wall? And, and how many times are you in puck battles? Like, that, that's where the game is won and lost. It's the old... You know, what, what's going to win you a game? Is it going to be your skill or is it going to be your will? And so, you know, I, I thought it was important to bring that up and to remind everyone, like, hey, watch the game just a little bit differently and look where this puck mm-hmm. is all night long. And especially for young players out there or, or parents who are, you know, maybe getting privates or maybe it's a parent coach and a team, like get, getting pucks off the wall are important. And just not to rant on this, but if you look at Florida's overtime winning goal last night, that's an automatic yep. play. It switched sides, right? Reinhardt puts it be, uh, behind. It goes around to the side. They put it right behind the net. And I can guarantee you that the Florida Panthers have a drill set up where that puck's coming around the wall to Reinhardt. He's able to take it off the wall and either wrap it, pass it to the slot, go low to high, whatever it is. And so, like, that was a skilled play. That wasn't some fluke thing. That is something that they, they certainly work on all the time. You know the um, yeah, your your wallet analogy when when you dropped it the other day, I, I, it reminded me of something that Fred Shiro um, said once to the Philadelphia Flyers. So this is like seventy four or seventy five Dallas when the Flyers are starching everybody, and they march into Pittsburgh, uh, who at that point were one of the worst teams in the NHL, and get fleeced. Like I think it's a Saturday night, I believe, in Pittsburgh at the old Civic Center, and the Penguins just have their way with you know the the, the Stanley Cup champion Philadelphia Flyers. Next day at practice, Shiro doesn't let a puck hit the ice. The guys are just down and back, down and back. Tongues are hanging out, the whole deal. And uh, after the practice, the, the guys are in the room, and Shiro comes in. He goes to the chalkboard, and he says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sick in the way I heard you guys come off after your shift saying you made a contribution, you made a contribution, you did something on your shift, you made a contribution. And he, he takes a piece of chalk, and he draws a plate, and he draws two eggs and three strips of bacon. And the guys are looking at him, and he says, gentlemen, this is what I had for breakfast this morning, and this will tell you everything I expect out of you as a Philadelphia Flyer. The guys are looking at the fog like, holy smokes, Like, what's going on, Fred? He said, this will tell me everything I need to know about you. This plate, my breakfast, two eggs, three strips of bacon. Because on this plate, the chicken made a contribution, but the pig made a commitment. And that's what I expect out of you as Philadelphia Flyers and everyone's <laughs> eyes just open wide. <laughs> and I always thought the chicken made a contribution, but the pig made a commitment. Um, and when you drop that wall line, I'm like, oh, next that's time I talk about Dallas, I got to mention the, 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 the Fred Shearer line with the contribution and the commitment. Um, it's and, always and, good. And a couple of minutes coach, I have left with and you, and you see these. It's- it's always great when the coach yeah. walks in and he starts doing something like that, and you see it on the players' faces going, just where is this nut going today? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a good one. I like it. Hang on. Did, 
did, did you ever have any, like you mentioned, like, you know, Moncton Hawks, I guess Dave Farish probably would have been your, your coach back then. Did you have anyone who would, like, throw these, like, come into the room, you know, kick the garbage can and drop one of these, like, Fred Shiro, you know, bacon and eggs stories? Anyone anyone jump to mind from your, your past as a player? I'm sure you must have had some doozies. Oh, yeah, like... Well, it, maybe with there, there was a lot of kicking of garbage cans and putting fists through fans and stuff uh, back in the day. You can't do that anymore. The players yeah. will call their agents, and they call the GM, and then you're in big trouble. Yep. So, uh, the yeah, they're, one of the most fiery coaches I, I, I had was back in Moncton. His name was uh, Robbie Laird, a guy that's just an unbelievable human being. Man, Robbie Laird was probably 170 pounds soaking wet. Uh, five nine, maybe five ten, and was like a three hundred minute guy in the IHL when he played. So oh, really wow. tough guy, and you know would would bring that kind of stuff out. And and then obviously I got to see lots of uh, interesting uh, in between period stuff when I was an extra guy with the St. Louis Blues with Mike Keenan, uh, a guy that I actually really enjoyed playing for, um, just in the fact mm-hmm. that. I loved watching him coach because you just weren't sure what was coming next. And I think that's how he really kept his teams on edge. You know, Keenan was uh, just a, a funny story because we worked with Mike briefly. Uh, Mike came in and, and did some some analyst work with us at Sportsnet before we had the national package. And I still remember, and it's, it's, a, it's a visual that I'll always have burned into my brain. It was, I went out with Mike for a couple of beers one night, and Mike has the, Mike, Mike loved and loves, I'm sure he still does, singing. And you haven't, Dallas, lived until you've heard Mike Keenan singing Easy by the Commodores. And he always hums that song when he'd be in the makeup chair. But one night we went out and it was karaoke time and he got up there and he sang Easy by the Commodores. And I'm telling you, we talk about perfect moments in life. For me, seeing Mike Keenan, the Philadelphia Flyers coach, like rugged, rough, Canada Cup, like the whole deal, singing the Commodores, that was something special. Um, before I let you go, I want to ask yeah, I'll you tell about you this. So just quick, Hey, just quickly on Mike. Yeah, I, I I just want to say yeah. this, but Mike's a really misunderstood guy. Like, I rented his apartment off of him when I was with the Florida Panthers, and then I mm-hmm. rented his place in Vancouver for the summer off of him uh, while I was up there training. And Mike and I were actually roommates for a couple of weekends that summer, and I got to see another side of him. He, he he's an unbelievable guy. He just gets a little nutty in the dressing room. <laughs> well, it's it's a great line by Mickey Ions, the old uh, uh, the old referee in the era of Bill Chadwick. Mickey Ions would, you know, before the but this back in the three the three official system, he'd call the two linesmen to center ice and he'd he'd hold up the puck and he'd say, "Gentlemen, I want you to remember something here." The minute I drop this round black thing, the three of us become the only sane people in this building. I want you to remember that. The minute I drop this thing, everybody in this building is going to go crazy. We are the only three who are sane here. So I think we all get it. I think we all we all understand it. Um, let me close by asking you about a team that you coached against plenty the last couple of seasons, and that is the Seattle Kraken. And what they're doing right now, and listen, last night wasn't the best night for Jake Ottinger, and I get that. And we're not used to seeing, you know, Jake Ottinger game one. He said he wouldn't be that bad again in game three. He was. Um, what is it about this Kraken team? Like, what's what's the there there on this second-year squad? Well, I, I think it's a few things. Uh, uh, I think that the the pace that they play at right through their lineup, right? They they don't have that traditional kind of fourth line that maybe goes and roughs you up or for anything. Yep. They they've got you know guys right through their uh, their their lineup that can score. So it's a real by committee thing, and when you play them. You know, the, these teams that are obviously further ahead than we were in Anaheim, like you're, you're looking for certain matchups and you're not sure on a nightly basis maybe who you should be matching up against. Um, I, I think that's a, a little troubling. Um, they've got really great speed. I think they've got the greatest ice in the league. Like their, their ice there is, really? is uh, incredible. Um, and, uh, the, the, and then the last thing, those fans there, they are on fire. 
like that building is alive. It's like yeah. it's this living entity uh, going on during the game, <laughs> and they are with them always. Like there's none of this, oh, the power play's not doing good let, uh, well tonight. Let's boo them. If they get down, their their right. fans are constantly pushing them along, and I, I think that's had a, just a, a wonderful effect on them too. So, like, you know, at Ron Francis, he's done a hell of a job there, and, uh, you know, I know Hackstall a little bit from over the years. He's a really solid coach, and um, they're going to be fun to watch here and to, to, to see how far they can take it. It's uh, it's it's fascinating uh, what they're uh, what they're able to do with the, this team right now. And you're right. And we talk about you know bench management. Like forwards don't get into the twenties, you know, and their fourth line never goes down to single digits. Like everybody's on the ice. Everyone feels it. Like your point is the I think the I think a great one. Like everyone feels involved. First line, first line. You know, Maddie Beneers and Jordan Eberle. Fourth line, Tanev and Sprong and Donato. Like everyone's out there and everyone's everyone's contributing. Everyone feels like they're they're part of this thing. Uh, I've kept you from the rest of your run for long enough. Uh, Dallas, enjoy your trot. Um, uh, I did check, and the sun did come out this morning in Toronto, despite the fact that their team is down 3 nothing. You enjoy the rest of your afternoon, and listen, you're doing great on the Magic Eyeball. Great stuff, continued success, and we'll, we'll touch base soon. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. There he is, uh, Dallas Akins, analyst on Hockey Night in Canada, uh, covering the Maple Leafs uh, Florida Panthers series. Uh, what's the score of that series? Hey, uh, Matt Marchese, noted Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Uh, I'm really not into hockey. I don't follow it that closely. How's that series coming along? What's, uh, what's, what's the story there? Uh, it's not great, Bob. Not great. <laughs> What are your what are your like, like all your buddies are Maple Leafs fans, right? Manny, I'm guessing them, like yeah. like your text must your 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 text must be just miserable. Like completely miserable. Well, it's honestly it's actually been quiet. I think everybody is just in such shock right now. Like I got a I got a, a text from uh from my buddy last night and he just said like that's embar like that effort last night was embarrassing. That's what his point was he says and to get literally nothing from the guys that you pay the most money to was he he said it was uh he said he called it he called them cowards that's what he called it he called them cowards jeff um so that's a rough one and and i i texted my dad this morning my my yeah my dad watched the first two periods at my place last night and then he went home and I texted him this morning. I said, why do we continue to do this each and every year? Like, Jeff, I, it is really hard for me to say this because I've been a fan of this team since I was a kid. I'm not going to lie. Mm. I am near the end with this. I'm really oh, near stop. the end. You are not. No, no, no. I, 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 I think my life would be a lot healthier if I didn't worry about this stuff. <laughs> Listen, I know I sit in this like privileged spot because I just cheer for players. I don't cheer for teams. Like I'll never have the euphoria of, hey, my team just won the Stanley Cup. Um, there'll be like plenty of like my guys that I like have won the Stanley Cup. Like I was happy for, you know, I was really happy for Gabriel Landeskog last year. He's one of my favorite players. Previous, I was happy that you know Victor Hedman and Steven Stamkos, you know, won the won won the Stanley Cup a couple of times. I was happy for them specifically, but. It's just a lot easier to be a hockey fan when you cheer for people and don't cheer for teams. But again, like I'll never have, I'll never have like that sports depression that fans go through. But conversely, like I'll never have the sports euphoria. Of, What's that? You know, uh, my, my team, my team winning. Well, I know. Like, listen, when it comes to Maple Leafs fans, it's like, well, <laughs> why are you banging your head against the wall? Well, because it feels good when I stop. Like, that's kind of I know what it feels. It must feel like to be a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. But you know, it's the old saying: like, what, what we what we gain on the roundabout, we lose on the swings. Like, I'll never know the euphoria of cheering for a team and seeing some success, but I'll also, you know, never go through what you and your buddies are going through right now, Marchese. No, and you know it's like I loved, I really loved Dallas's explanation of you know because you know you know me when we talked about his his uh, the stat about the board play it totally blew my mind and we talked about that but for me it was super enlightening to see that he sees what a lot of us are seeing and that Florida's doing the little things right in the series where Toronto isn't and they're and Florida is sacrificing a little bit more than Toronto is and they're doing the little things that maybe Toronto doesn't want to do and that's why they're up three nothing because the town 
I would, I don't want to say there's a talent discrepancy because Florida is still a really good team. But when we talk about the high end yeah. talent that the Toronto Maple Leafs have, they have more of it and it's just not coming to light. And we're, you know, like, you know, you asked me last week about Austin Matthews versus Matthew Kachuk. Matthew Kachuk didn't even have a great game yesterday and he still managed to win again. Like that's a missed opportunity in my books. And I don't know, like I'm fully expecting a sweep here, Jeff. Like I have, I have no aspirations of this team coming back. Like I, I think because somebody asked me, they said, how is your life outside of, of watching the Leafs and the playoffs and work? I said, the Leafs are killing yeah. me right now. So it's, it's taking away from a lot of, uh, a lot of other things in my life. But I said, I fully expect it to be yeah. over on Wednesday. So I'll go back to normal. 201 Eastern today. I want you to go for a walk. <laughs> go for a walk or, you know, like, you know, uh, go take your daughter out on the swings or something. You know, like, just go and just, like, let it, let it, let it go. Like, you know, those, you know, those Tai Chi people in the park you see every morning, you know, letting stuff go past them and let it go right by. Just be like them, Maddie. Just let it go. It's a lot, it's a lot healthier. I know. You know. Don't stress about. Don't be all like Lady Macbeth up and down the hallway, wringing your hands, out damn spot. You know about what's going to happen on on Wednesday. Go and enjoy your life. What did Warren Zevon say? You know, after he got his diagnosis, you know, enjoy every sandwich. Try to enjoy every sandwich, Maddie. I'm, I mean, I'm oh, just no like live on air therapy for you here. No, I know you don't enjoy. The only thing is, after you have, I've seen you eat, you have to count your fingers afterwards. Yeah, the way you attack those things. Um, but none, nonetheless. Um, okay, so tough, t- tough times for the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, right now, and we'll see what the uh, what the outcome is on on Wednesday because I'm sure the extra day is going to be really nice and healthy for Maple Leafs fans <laughs> here. Um, but I'll tell you, one of the uh, there's been a couple of impressive things. Like Seattle was really impressive yesterday. I think yep. there's a couple of reasons. I mean, it wasn't that Jake Ottinger's best game, and you know uh, Miro Haskinen going out after getting a shot in the face. By the way. I mean the the list of and I, I know people hate when I talk about this. But I, I knew it was coming. The list of I knew it was coming. <laughs> the list of people hit in the face by either pucks <laughs> or skates this year. Okay, so Haskinen joins the list. Welcome to the club, a club you don't want to be part of. Um, and we've got uh, Sebastian Aho. Remember that one? Gets a shot off the I face, do. and Brock Nelson bunts it in the net. And then there's uh, and then there's lizard skin in Edmonton, Zach Hyman, who scores a goal off of his face. Like if there's an equipment manufacturer out there, I'm not sure if Hyman's a a Bauer guy or, or a CCM guy. But if you're not like creating like Hyman lizard skin gloves based on him able to you know uh, deflect the shot off of his face into the net and and be unscathed about it. And then, of course, we saw Morgan Barron get the uh, the skate in the face, the dreaded skate in the face from Laurent, like from um, who, from Laurent Bossois. Like we're only a few weeks into this thing, right? And already we've got one, two, wait, one, two, three people getting hit in the face with a puck, flush, bam, and then Morgan Barron getting a skate in the face. It's just not like the most dangerous. Stanley Cup playoffs we've seen in a long time. It does feel like And you it. want to say to yourself, you want to say to yourself, maybe it's just coincidence and, you know, pucks in the face comes in threes and maybe we're done with it now. Like, I remember, you remember when John Klingberg started in the NHL? Like, Klingberg, unlike anybody else, although Nick Haig, Nick Haig is kind of like this in Vegas. And the common denominator there, by the way, is James Richmond now of the, uh, and has been for a while, of the um, uh, Mississauga Steelheads of the OHL. But do you remember Klingberg when he came to the NHL? He was like the only defenseman that would consistently shoot high from the point. Yes. I remember asking Tyler Sagan about this. He's like, oh, geez, yeah, we got to really be careful here. And his thought was always, you know, goalies are going down and getting around guys and all that. So he would just like lob shots in from the point. Now, James Richmond, here, I'll, I'll tell the story. James Richmond, uh, was playing at a Four Nations, uh, or coaching at a Four Nations, rather, sorry. And he saw Klingberg doing this. And he's like, okay, it's going to take a very, very specific type of player to be able to do this. James Richmond, fast forward, is coaching the Mississauga Steelheads. Nick Haig is his star defenseman. 
and he's talking to uh, Nick Hague about, you know, John Klingberg, who we saw playing in Sweden at the Four Nations, and, you know, uh, of all people he's ever coached on the back end, you know, Hague would be the one guy that would be able to do this with some consistency and not wreck guys in front of the net. But it's so seldom previous. So it's like John Klingberg and maybe in junior hockey Nick Hague, and other than that, when did we see defensemen firing them high from the point? Aren't we kind of there now? Well, you see a lot of shots coming high on a consistent basis. Like, is it? I, I guess I sent out the tweet. Like, is it just me? Am, am I the only one? And maybe I'm just like hardwired to see this more. I don't know. We all have our biases. Are you seeing the same thing as I'm seeing, Maddie? Like, more shots coming in high than ever before? Yeah, it does feel like that. And that's why, um, I mean, I don't, I don't love it. I actually, I hate it because you, it, you see what happens. And I actually think. On that thought, I actually think the defending player has it worse than the offensive player in that situation because when you're defending, you're worried about the guy and not necessarily the puck. So you don't see it as much. Like we saw Josh Mahura get hit in the head coming around the net. We saw Heiskanen last night. Like I feel like that's where it's going to get worse. Hang on. I forgot about Josh Mahura. Got to throw him on the list here now. So, but that, but I think. I forgot about that. I think as a defending player, I think it's actually worse for you in that regard because you're not necessarily paying attention to the puck. You're just trying to, you know, box out a man or you're trying to take a stick away or whatever. It takes away from your attention to the puck. So I think it's only going to get worse for defending players throughout the playoffs. Yeah, uh, not good, not good. Okay, so that's quite the list. Haskinen, Aho, Hyman, Mahura. Those are pucks in Morgan Barron skate. Keep your shots down, gentlemen. Put a leash on those puppies. Put a leash on those puppy pucks. Get them down. Uh, we're taking a break here. Uh, coming up in a couple of moments, going to talk to Ken Danico. You know, I'll ask you Danico about shots high from the point. Uh, Devils analyst, and Ken, of course, works with the NHL Network as well. Uh, we'll get on the New Jersey Devils page and the Hughes brothers and um, Nico Heischer and the Selkie Trophy. And Timo Meyer finally finds the back of the net. Our uh, first goal uh, yesterday, 8-4 romp and surrendering three short. Like, how does a team score three shorthanded goals, as Carolina did, and lose the game? That's what we saw, folks. Ken Danico is next from the NHL Network and New Jersey Devils analyst as well. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know, yesterday was one of those moments where you say, all right, this family is planting the flag right now. Yesterday for the New Jersey Devils, that was the Hughes brothers, uh, Jack and Luke, Luke on the point, and the Damon Severson goal was poetry in that family. Severson scores assist to Jack and Luke. Wonderful moment for the Hughes family. Uh, joining us now is someone who won Stanley Cups patrolling the New Jersey Devils blue line. Uh, he's an analyst for the New Jersey Devils, works for the NHL Network as well, and this is going to be a fascinating discussion because it always is with Ken Danico. Kenny, how are you today? I'm good, Jeff. How are you? And uh, I guess they're feeling a little better. You mentioned the Devils because it didn't look promising again to the start of round two, but uh, uh, they found a way to find some offense yesterday. Well, that's just it. And eight goals later, and we're saying, wow, like shade, shades of what we saw in, in game three in the, in the Rangers series as well. It, you're right. It didn't look good in those first two games. And, you know, Carolina was showing what, you know, the experience and the veteran points, et cetera, et cetera, discipline. And then New Jersey just came out and just rock and rolled all over. Um, I don't know that I've seen a game where a team has sur- – I don't know where a, where a team has scored three shorthanded goals and actually yeah. lost, but there were the Carolina Hurricanes yesterday, which is, I mean, what a freak that is. So hang on, Ken. Here, here's what I wanted to ask you off the bat. I want to get into the to the Devils mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a second here. But 
in these in these playoffs, okay? So we've seen, you know, last night Miro Haskinen gets uh, a shot in the face. He's out for the game. We've seen Sebastian Aho take one off the face and Brock Nelson bunt the rebound in. We've seen Zach Hyman take a shot off the face from the point, direct it in in one of the weirdest plays we've ever seen. We've seen Josh Mahura coming out from around the mm-hmm. net. He catches a puck in the face as well. You know, once upon a time, you know, John Klingberg really developed a reputation as being the defenseman that shot high from the point. Um, in your era, it was always, you know, shoot low, look for the tip, shoot low, look for the tip. Um, is it just me or are we seeing this more and more recently? And I don't know whether it was like the, just the last year, the last couple of years, that defensemen now are drifting these things. And it's so dangerous, as you well know. Is it just me or do you notice like defensemen drifting shots high more so now than ever before? No, I think that's pretty accurate. I'm not sure why, and obviously uh, I think maybe they'll create a little bit more of an opening. Having said that, you're right, it's it's dangerous. I mean, uh, I remember oh. back in the day when, when we played and when Al McGinnis was winding up, it was uh, hold your breath, and uh, sometimes we went <laughs> down in front of it and he could break a kneecap or a leg, but, but he kept it relatively mid-height or a foot off the ice, but it was coming uh, over 100 miles an hour. And, and boy, I remembered on a few occasions, he caught me on the kneecap once and shattered my pad. And fortunately, I wasn't too, uh, too banged up, but uh, it was scary. And these guys can shoot the puck with the composites and the, um, the the new sticks and everything that developed as far as the whip. It's amazing. And And it's scary out there at times when you put one in the net off the helmet or face and you're not too banged up. Well, it makes it all worth it, especially this time of year, Jeff. Uh, I mean, these guys are doing yeah. whatever it takes, and that's why we love the playoffs. Yeah, we really do. And and one of my enduring images is going to be Zach Hyman taking that shot off the chin and actually deflecting it in the net. And I don't know what. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's actually a thing, but he he must have like lizard skin or cro- no crocodile skin. I think is the toughest skin uh, on the face of the. He must have crocodile. I know the. You know, like there's like uh, you know, uh, whale skin has got to be tough too. But like, he's got to have crocodile skin, and and like no, like no cut, like nothing. I'm like, what what planet did you come from, Zach Hyman? Anyway, um, it, it New really Jersey is Devils. Crazy what, what, sometimes. It, it really is, Kenny. Uh, what did you see different out of the New Jersey Devils yesterday, other than you know, obviously the eight goals? But what was different about their game, if anything? Well, first off, I would say, Jeff, I mean, it really has been feast or famine in these playoffs. We know they're a high-octane team. They can put the puck in the net. They like to use their speed and transition game. And as we know, come playoff time, that's not always available, especially against uh, the best defensive team in the National Hockey League in the Carolina Hurricanes. So they've been navigating their way through these playoffs, a lot of these young guys, first time around. And for me, all I saw yesterday was – better puck management, moving it quickly. They were rimming the puck. They were high-flipping the puck. And then they were using their speed and transition game. And they caught the Canes because the Canes are the type of team, especially on the forecheck or all over the ice, really, they pressure, pressure, pressure. So they got everybody going. So if you're able to get good uh, lobs and flips and good bounces and you're skating, you're going to get outnumbered situations. And that's what I think we saw yesterday afternoon in the Devils Carolina game, and then they were able to finish. They they haven't been able to finish as much yeah. uh, throughout these playoffs with consistency. Timo Meyer, who's had plenty of opportunities, and he's been a factor. He got his first goal yesterday. They're going to need their top guys to score some goals, and they certainly did that in bunches yesterday afternoon to get on the board as far yeah. as uh, in this playoff series. But but that's what I saw, and, and I watched. Everybody knew what they were going to do with the puck, and I'm sure that was a focus from Lindy Ruff and the coaching staff who's done an extra job of knowing what you're going to do with the puck before you get it because they were deer in headlights first two games. Yeah. Get the puck, hang on. Before you know it, they're turning it over. Everything. As soon as it – even if it went D to D and they, were, and they were close to the boards and there was no play, they just continued to skim it around the boards and chip it out, and then the Devils were able to use their asset, their strength, their speed, so that's what I saw. Yeah, you yeah. talked about they got to clean up some things. I think that might be a blessing in disguise that they gave up three short of goals because sometimes you get a little too hmm. too giddy, too full of yourself scoring eight goals, but I think that might keep them grounded <laughs> because even though they won by yeah. four and it was a great game and did a lot of good things, you give up three shorties. That's usually not a recipe for success. 
So, Ken, you've um, you've enjoyed the ultimate success as a member of the New Jersey Devils. Uh, you cover the New Jersey Devils and have done so for a number of years. Has this market, though, ever seen anyone, and this is, you know, with all due respect to players, you know, Patrick Eliash, we think of right away. Mm-hmm. Has anybody, has, has anyone seen anything like Jack Hughes with this organization before? Well, with all due respect to all the stars and some of the Hall of Famers we've had uh, throughout the organization, I would have to say no. I mean, he is that special and and uh, highlight reel every night. And I know these playoffs at times in, in particular give Jordan Stahl a lot of credit in the first two games. He covered him yeah. like a blanket. But what I love about him is he's got heart, too. He's not the biggest guy. We saw him and Ajo battling, and we were shocked and surprised. <laughs> he almost got the Gordie Howe hat trick. But it just shows me how, yeah. how much he wants to win and how much he gets it right now. He wants the ball in his hand, as they say, mm-hmm. football analogy, when the game is on the line. So it ain't always going to work out, but you love that mentality. And I've seen it since an 18-year-old. Before Everybody was saying, oh, boy, it's been tough for Jack. Yeah, he was a baby when he came in. He looked like he should be in middle school. But you could. one thing I always loved about him, and I want my star players to have that, is that uh, confidence – that almost arrogance, not arrogant, but just just hang on, hold on. It will come together for me, and we certainly see that. Last year coming on the last second half of the year and having a good year, and especially this year, he's just got a great mentality. He, he's, yeah. like I said, a little bit brash, believes in himself, and he wants to be the go-to guy. And I love that in a star player, and he is just electrifying, fun to watch every night. And I think – uh, last night, yeah, you asked me what was different. I talked about puck management, moving it quicker, and just getting it out mm-hmm. and up ice as quick as possible. It was the compete. The compete level was at was at an all time high, and it wasn't there in the first two games. And and Carolina just took it to them. All of a sudden, last night they hit. They were initiating. They were first on the puck. You, you've got to, you know, those cliches we use, Jeff. They mean something come playoff sure. time. The will, the want. Yeah, you need skill. Yeah, you need speed. And that, yeah, you need saves. But yesterday it was at a different level, and that's what they've been able to do this playoffs is just when we kind of think they're down and out at times in round one and certainly round two as well, uh, they've been a resilient bunch all year long, and I give them a lot of credit for a young group, and I credit Andre Pilat, Eric Halla, who's been terrific. Those two guys that have been around have had playoff experience. Andre Pilat, one of the best playoff players we've seen the last handful of years, uh, has done a lot in that room to make these guys reset, refocus through a playoffs because we know the emotional highs and lows. You know, you mentioned Eric Halla a second ago. I'd have to ask you about that Halla Nason fight yesterday, given that Halla used to be a hurricane, Nason used to be a devil. Uh, maybe the, the the perfect fight for this series. Both guys have played for both teams. Um, they engaged, they broke off, and then they re-engaged as well. What did you make of that uh, exchange yesterday? I, I loved Hollis Hart. I mean, look, he's not known as a fighter, but he's an aggressive guy. Ooh. Nason a little bigger, obviously. We had Stephen Nason in Jersey, and he was yeah. played extremely well, and he's found his stride with and role with the Carolina Hurricanes. It didn't matter if he won or lost. That, that's the playoffs. And, look, I've gone with the times. I don't need to see scraps as much anymore. I want to see passion. I want to see emotion. And that's kind of what that was. And Eric Hollis stood up. You're winning by a lot. Usually the team winning, you don't have to accept that challenge. But I think it goes a long way on your bench, regardless of the win-loss or however you judge the fight anymore. It's more about just showing. I'm going to show up for my team. I'm going to be there. Just like Jack Hughes at a buck sixty soaking wet or whatever he is, a wrestling. I know Ajo's not a fighter either, but he's a bigger guy. <laughs> I don't think Lindy Russell, and he I, mentioned I, I, it, what is he doing? I don't think he wants to see yeah. that too often. <laughs> No, I, I, w- I was just so impressed. Like, it was totally UFC. So, like, it was, they were wrestling, and Jack Hughes, like, he grabbed, he's trying to grab Sebastian Ajo's leg to go for, like, a single leg takedown. I'm like, what am I, what am I watching here, Ken? Like, this is, yeah. this was a weird well, one. Well, by um, the way, Jeff, like, by the way, there was UFC the yeah. night before at the Prudential Center. I know. Center, so maybe it, it rubbed <laughs> off him a little bit. But you know what it showed me? He took a pretty good cross check to the ribs. <laughs> By Ajo, if anybody caught yep. that right before the play. And that's part of the playoffs. If things happen, everything, you know, transpires in a game, whether you're winning or losing. But you got to stick up for yourself every once in a while, regardless of your size. And I, I think that's yeah. what Jack Hughes was doing. 
Let me ask you about his brother, Luke. Uh, not a bad playoff debut with uh, with a, a, a pair of assists, and I mentioned the Damon Severson goal, and that has both Hughes brothers attached to it by way of uh, by way of assists. What did you think of of Luke Hughes, and what did you make of Lindy Ruff's idea of uh, of going the uh, the eleven seven route? Well, first off, I think the eleven seven route was to to get some of the top players going up front. So get Meyer out more, get Brad out more, who had a good game. Easter yep. was strong. All their top guys and Jack Hughes had the four point night. He wanted those guys to get more ice time, and he wanted a different look on the back end. And Luke Hughes was better than I thought he'd be even his first playoff game. He's got ice water in his veins. All the his is they're confident, believe in themselves. Yep. And if you even heard his interview right before. Um, the day before in practice, he says, I'm ready for this moment. And the way he said it, you believed him. Uh, he's poised. He's mm. patient with the puck. Probably the best skater on the team, along with his brother, Jack, right out of the gate as a 19-year-old stepping in the lineup. And that in itself, the puck transition, being able to join the attack, you see the play he made uh, from his knees to Severson, and then Severson made a terrific move himself. That's two defensemen on the same side, you know, creating offense. Yep. So I, I thought he was terrific. I know he had the one bad pass, ended up being a, a penalty shot and a real nice goal by Martin Oop. But you got to live with that creativity every once in a while. I'm sure they talked to him, but I thought his playoff debut was absolutely outstanding. He brings an element the team has not had in a long, long time, and that's that incredible skating ability and vision and hockey IQ. And I go back to Scott Niedemeyer, the guy I played with and loved and thought was as good oh, yeah. a skating defenseman I have ever seen. And that's kind of who he reminded me of a little bit. I'm not saying they're they're not a little different players, and we'll see. I don't want to put that pressure on them. But you can tell as a 19-year-old, uh, nothing seems to phase him. He, he loves the moment, and uh, it was a heck of a debut with a couple of assists. And, and he just did a real good job moving the puck. He can get back, too. That's how he defends as well. Everybody's worried about his defensive yeah. acumen around the net and maybe not uh, physically mature enough yet. But what I love is the way the Devils play, it's fast-paced, right? And and defense want to be involved in attack. But he can get back more than the other defensemen can because of that speed uh, to, to interrupt some plays if it's an outnumbered situation going the other way because you're pressing so hard in the offensive zone. Yeah. You know, I, I think, and I'll, I'll close on this thought, I think your point about Luke Hughes is, is, is the absolute right one, and it's a really progressive way to think. Like, if you... Like, I look at percentages. If you cost your team two scoring chances, but you also produce 10 with with margins like that, like, that's how you win championships. Like, I get it. You'll, you have you'll to take, take those two you'll that you're take surrender, and you're going to... I'll, I'll take I'll take that all day long. I think that's a great point, Ken, about uh, about Luke Hughes. Listen, we'll we'll let you get back to your afternoon. Thanks as always for stopping by my program. I always appreciate it, Ken. You're the best. Uh, enjoy what's next because this series <laughs> just got good. Uh, enjoy the next game, Kenny. I appreciate appreciate being on with you, Jeff. And we don't know what's next. None of us do with this Devils team. Like I said, feast or famine, but they're hoping to tie the series up in game four. We shall see. Game four should be a good one. We'll see if maybe we had, there's a Mackenzie Blackwood sighting. Who knows? We'll see. Um, thanks, Ken. All the best. There he is, Ken Danico, uh, New Jersey Devils analyst, also from the NHL Network. Stanley Cup champion with the, uh, the New Jersey Devils as well. Now, that was, by the way, full props to uh, Matt Marchese, who on the weekend probably said to himself, I'm going to try to put together the toughest show I've ever put together. You just heard from Ken Danico. Before that, Dallas Akins, no shrinking violet at all. Jody Shelley of the NHL on TNT and the Columbus Blue Jackets. And Elliot Friedman. Pretty tough show right there. And a tough control room with Jen Rolnick, Lance Kennedy, and the aforementioned Matt Marchese. Thank you, thank you, thank you for making this show better. Thanks to everyone for stopping by the show today. Only one game on the go around the NHL this evening. Vegas Golden Knights, Edmonton Oilers, 8.30 Eastern on CBC and Sportsnet. Enjoy it. The Leon Show, the Connor Show, the Jack Show. Who knows?